41 opened with Joseph still in prison. And lest you think it was a glamorous type prison, they mentioned that it's a dungeon. And that takes away any of the glamour that you might find in prison, calling it a dungeon. Uh, while they're in prison, Joseph has interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker, and he's given credit to God as being the one who really interprets dreams. The baker is executed as foretold by Joseph. The butler is restored to his position of cupbearer to Pharaoh. And Joseph had a request of the butler. He said, remember me when you're restored and once again you're in the presence of the Pharaoh. When you're in his court, remember him, me, and let him know that I'm here wrongly. And I'm sure that the butler probably assured Joseph that he would do this. Okay, I'll mention you uh, before the Pharaoh. But he promptly forgot, didn't he? And he forgot all about Joseph. Yet Joseph remains there in prison, and he probably is awaiting word from the court of Pharaoh any day now that he'll be released. And Joseph is hoping for a pardon. But time goes by, day after day, and Joseph receives no word from the Pharaoh. So Joseph is forced to realize that uh, either the Pharaoh does not concern himself with the injustice of one prisoner, or the butler has failed him and has forgotten his promise to speak to the Pharaoh for him. And so once again, Joseph has to deal with injustice. And he probably goes through, or at least I know I would, severe discouragement. And he remains in prison having done nothing wrong. Joseph up to this point has lived a life where friends and family have either turned their back on him or have done him evil. And he has suffered wrongly. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 18 through 21, let me just read you four verses here. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to, to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it? If when you are beaten for your faults, that you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. God, by his Spirit, is working mightily in Joseph's life. Joseph is allowed to live out Scripture before it's written. Joseph is living that commendable life 
by suffering wrongfully and suffering patiently. I'd like it when I find that circumstances brought about a reaction from me and I live according to God's word. And I go, oh, that was good. <laughs> and I start getting lifted up in pride immediately. But after that, I, I calm down and, and realize that I am truly a believer in God is working in my life. Several years back, my nephew died of complications of Huntington's disease. All of the family watched this young man degenerate right before our eyes. And Stephen, he began to lose muscle coordination. His speech became slurred. Even walking became a difficulty for him, and he would stumble and lose balance. And if you were a stranger and didn't know him, you'd say, well, that, that guy's intoxicated. As time went by, my, my sister not only prayed for his healing, but she took him to all the, you know, quote-unquote faith healers that she could find, but to no avail. No relief for Stephen. He only grew worse, and he died. Upon his death, my sister asked if I would speak at the funeral. How do you tell your sister no? You can't. <laughs> so I was put up into a position of trying to comfort the family, mainly wanting to comfort Stephen's mother, my sister. Stephen was a Christian, so that made the task a lot easier. But it's never easy to comfort those that are really mourning. What do you say to a grieving mother that must bury her son way before what we would call his time? But you know, Stephen, he accepted the fact that his disease, he knew that it was terminal. He knew he was dying. And he had worked for me for a brief period of time when I had a machine shop. And eventually I had to tell him, I can't let you keep working here because you're going to hurt yourself severely and I'm going to feel bad. So I had to send him home. But there was one thing that caused me to admire Stephen. And this I shared at the funeral. I never heard Stephen complain about why this inherited disease had struck him. I never heard him say, why me? He suffered what we would say wrongly, and he suffered patiently. And to his uncle and to all of the family, this was very commendable. And that was the only words of comfort that I could come up with at this funeral. Joseph has suffered wrongly, and it is commendable before God. So let's pick up chapter 41. We'll read uh, quite a lengthy reading, 1 through 36. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly... There came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. 
Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows, so Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven grains, uh, heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads, so Pharaoh woke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of, of Egypt and all the wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he had interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved and changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such an ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the seven uh, fat cows, and when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had been eaten by them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. And I also dreamed in my dreams. Suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. And behold, seven heads withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads of are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise. All of the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And in the dream, it was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store it up and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. A very familiar dream. We, we've all... Uh, are familiar with this from being little guys in Sunday school and everything else. But Joseph, there he is still in prison until Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh's dream has him standing by the river. Now we know that this is the Nile River. This is the lifeblood of Egypt. And seven fine-looking fat cows are feeding in the meadow. Seven ugly, gaunt cows come up out of the river and eat the seven fat cows. And Pharaoh awakes. But then he goes back to sleep. And Pharaoh has a second dream. Seven stalks of grain, and I think it was perhaps corn stalks, but that's just me. And they're plump and they're good. But then seven thin heads of grain blighted, dried out from the wind, devour the seven full, plump heads of grain. And Pharaoh wakes up again. And he has this realization that, hey, why the dreams? They're very real to him, and they trouble him. The morning comes and Pharaoh seeks out an answer. He wants to know what these dreams are all about. So he consults his wise men, his magicians. And again, he is troubled by this dream. And none of his advisors are any help to him. In verse 9, the time has come. Then the butler speaks up. <laughs> And uh, if Joseph would have been there, I would imagine he would have said, it's about time. <laughs> but he did. I remember my faults this day. He admits that he's done Joseph wrong. And now God, in one day, will turn Joseph's whole life around. No more delays. No more suffering wrongfully. God has prepared everything, and he set everything in motion, and God will move quickly now 
to honor and promote Joseph one day. I have a question. Has Joseph prayed about his situation, his unfair treatment? (laughs) Do you pray about things that come upon you unfairly? (laughs) We should be. I'm sure he prayed about them. Has Joseph given up hope? No, he still hopes to be a free man. For remember, he told the baker, or not the baker, but the butler, when you get before Pharaoh, remember me. Tell him about me being here wrongly. Two two years before, he told the butler, remember me and help me get out of this place. Help me get out of this dungeon. But in that dungeon, in that prison, God is developing great character and patience in Joseph. Character and patience that Joseph will need for he's about to become the leader of Egypt. The butler forgot all about Joseph and his dream. God is warning Pharaoh by the dreams. And part of Joseph's interpretation of these dreams is don't forget, Pharaoh, what God is showing you. Don't be like the butler. Don't forget. God has shown you what will take place. The butler, he tells Pharaoh about the young Hebrew, the one who interpreted his dreams, and the baker's dreams also, while he was in prison. Pharaoh is searching for answers so desperately, he quickly calls for Joseph to be brought out of the prison. He's told by the butler that this young Hebrew can interpret dreams. Now, in that culture, if you interpreted a dream, it was considered you had power and authority to bring the fulfillment of the dream about. That's why Joseph said, interpretations belong to God. He says, I can't bring this about, but God can. And God has shown Pharaoh what he's going to do. And God has given Pharaoh an answer of peace. So they shave Joseph. They clean him up put clean clothes on him, and now Joseph stands before Pharaoh. And at that time, the strongest man probably for his kingdom on earth. Verse 15, there's no beating around the bush by the Pharaoh. His dreams have troubled him, and he wants an interpretation. Now, Joseph's entire future depends on God giving Joseph the correct interpretation. Joseph is faithful to give Pharaoh a solution, and he says, God will give you an answer of peace, for God interprets dreams, not man. Joseph not only has an answer, but Joseph is bold now by suggesting to Pharaoh that he should find a wise and discerning man and set him over the land. (laughs) Joseph has had very little time to get into prayer before he goes before the Pharaoh. I'm I'm sure he would have wanted to. Um, But Joseph has this one assurance 
that God is giving Pharaoh an answer of peace for his dreams. And as Pharaoh relates his dreams to Joseph, Joseph, he says, in my dreams, and he gives Joseph a few more details that come forth as we read. The seven gaunt, skinny cows remain gaunt and ugly even after they devour the seven fat cows. Same with the heads of grain. You may not know it, but I am a cattleman. I have cows. <laughs> a note on cows for your information. My cows are plump and pretty, mild in disposition, and they understand that they are cared for and even loved. And I have three heifers that are pregnant, and they're about as wide as they are tall, just to let you know about cows a little bit. Back to Joseph, verse 25. Joseph, he declares to Pharaoh, he says, your two dreams are actually one message from God. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Don't we all want to know what the future holds? Basically, seven years of great harvest will be followed by seven years of severe famine. So severe will the famine be that you will forget about the seven years of plenty. And God repeated this to dream to you, Pharaoh, to show you, Pharaoh, it will be established and it will come about shortly. And then we have the wisdom of Joseph coming forth. Joseph is very bold when you consider this story and he tells Pharaoh what he should do. Not only does he interpret the dream, he then takes it a step further and he seizes that moment. <laughs> he, he understands he is before Pharaoh because his God has given Pharaoh these dreams. There's no reason to be shy now, and Joseph isn't. And in verse 33, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over Egypt. Consider, think about this, Pharaoh. Who's interpreting this dream for you? <laughs> Joseph is uh, handing Pharaoh his resume. <laughs> you should select me. And Joseph also gives Pharaoh a plan. He says, you should put in place a tax increase. Collect 20% of all the crops from the seven plentiful years, store these crops up for, for the seven years of drought are coming. The crops and the grain will be a reserve, a savings account in food or in grain. If you would like to do a little interesting study, there's a wealth of information uh, available to us through Google. You knew that. But Google 
grain reserves if you want to do a little study. I did. Let me tell you some of the things I found. <laughs> uh, I read some of the articles there, and most of the articles, you know, they reference back to who's saying this and so forth. And I'll, I'll give you some of the United Nations quotes on world grain reserves. Not just the U.S., but the entire world. Our grain reserves worldwide are the lowest that they have been since 1974, right now. We have depleted the grain reserves down to 71-day cushion worldwide. In other words, if we didn't grow any more grain, the world could exist 71 more days on the grain it has. Okay? Just 10 years ago, our grain reserves were 107 days. That's a roughly, in the last 10 years, one-third decrease in the grain supply that's being reserved. Six out of the last 11 years, the world has consumed more grain than we grow. Six out of 11. During the last 11 years, food prices worldwide have doubled. In the last three months, food prices have gone up seven and one quarter percent. The UN warns that if the United States had a drought, it could trigger a worldwide hunger crisis. The thing is, the U.S. has been in drought condition for the last several years. We have avoided catastrophic losses in grain by depleting our underground aquifers and we're doing so at an alarming rate. We're running out of water. And we cannot escape the fact that our climate is directly related to food and grain production. Recently, Typhoon Haiyan one of the strongest typhoons to ever hit the world with sustained winds of 250 miles per hour. Consider that, wow. Well, it struck the Philippines, as you're aware of, and two million people in the Philippines are homeless. Two million. They're, they're thinking the death toll will go around 3,800 right now, but there's still a 1,000 missing people that they don't know about. They don't know what happened to them. Before that, we had earthquakes and tsunamis hit Japan, and they wreaked havoc on an industrialized nation. And these weather and climate disasters are becoming more and more common. Typhoons in Asia earthquakes in Japan, droughts in Australia and the United States dramatically affect our grain production. Now God showed Pharaoh what he was what was coming. He showed him in his dream what's coming upon Egypt. 
For years in the United States, we've heard warnings of food shortages, economic collapse, and all these kind of things. So what do we do? What do we do? The news is not good. And it appears that we are in a series of weather calamities. Today, this day, they're talking about severe thunderstorms this afternoon, perhaps even tornadoes. And you know where we live, right? Tornado Alley. Okay. <laughs> Not trying to scare anybody. But these things are real. God provides for his people he provided for Joseph's family by raising him up to be their deliverer. And he also raised up Joseph to be Egypt's deliverer. God has not stepped down from the throne. He promises to provide for you and I. He will take care of us. He doesn't love Joseph any more than he loves you and I, and he will take care of us. I think we have a responsibility to be seeking God as to how we should live our lives, how we should be a good steward, a faithful steward of what God allows to pass through our hands. I think that's just a responsibility each of us have. We're to be that wise servant, and if it wasn't so sad, I'd, it'd be comical, all the hoarding dis, uh, disaster programs that are on TV now, and all these people, they're doing whatever they're doing to protect themselves from end times disaster. Don't be a hoarder. Don't be gathering up things for yourself. Be a giver. Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. As God's people, we're allowed to be givers. Do you ever think about that? It is more blessed to give than receive. All you have to do is be on the receiving end one time to realize that. It is more blessed to give than to receive. As Christians, as believers, we are allowed in God's divine plan, we are allowed to support God's kingdom. That doesn't mean we're to be dumb. Know what you're giving your monies to. Know what you're getting involved in. But if you are a giver, you can rest assured that God will provide for you. That's the greatest insurance any of us has. I'll read you one verse and we'll close. Psalm 37, 25. It's one of my favorite verses. And it's David, and it's David who is writing, I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. What a promise. David says, I was a young man, now I'm an old man, and God has been faithful to the righteous. And God will be faithful to you and I. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.
we get to enjoy some of those the bounty here in a few minutes. <laughs> Lots of food here. Don't anyone, I don't want to hear anyone leaving without eating. <laughs> Shall we pray? Father God, thank you for delivering Joseph. Thank you that the world got to see your faithfulness to this man of God. And Lord, we would pray that we would be faithful to you, that when we suffer and suffer wrongly, that you would notice and that we would suffer in a commendable way, Lord. We want our faith. We want our belief of you to be seen by others. For you are faithful. You are good. And you do provide for us. And here we are in the Thanksgiving season, Lord. And we have a great meal prepared for us before we partake today, Lord. So we ask that you would bless this food we're about to receive. And thank you, Lord, that you supply all of our needs. Thank you for that. Thank you for the great testimony of Joseph down in Egypt. And, Lord, we too want to be a great testimony of your faithfulness. So be with us. Thank you again for loving us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.